actually team mark team mark <laughs> but, we need to make those buttons and everybody will be so confused definitely there's a lot of choices team jacob team edward team mark team mark like there's no there's no mark oh there is there is a mark in salem's lot horror movie survival guide is a weekly podcast where two unlikely gorehounds delve into our horror movie notebook from college which meticulously kept track of every film we watched in the horror section of our local video store in our quest to survive and to ensure we end up as the final girl join julia and marion as we revisit the classic and obscure horror vhs we viewed and logged in our notebook breaking them down one by one geeking out about all of the ghastly minutiae and ultimately illuminating the path to survival hey guys hi (laughs) welcome to horror movie survival guide we are the first podcast from indie popcorn recording at the circus and this is episode number 18 in which we were going to we're going to be discussing salem's lot from 1979 the title of this episode is he commands it yes he does so this film came out in 1979. It is not a film. Yes. It is a TV miniseries. Which I totally thought it was a movie. And I, then I'm like, hey, this is... And we were like, why is this movie three hours? Oh, because it's not. It's a TV miniseries. So uh, another movie where George Romero was originally attached. Mm-hmm. So this could have been George Romero, Salem's Lot. Is this is he just picky or what? I don't he understand. He must be. Yeah. I had no idea he was so choosy. Because mm-hmm, he's like, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. But I feel like he would have rocked all of these movies so hard. Yeah. It's just, yeah, we'll never know. So uh, when it got turned into a TV miniseries, it was originally supposed to be a feature, and mm-hmm. then it got turned into a TV miniseries, and that's when George Romero was like, forget it. And Toby oh, Hooper, that's right, yeah. mm-hmm. our, 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 our guy. Our go-to. Uh-huh. Toby Hooper was like, yeah, I'll do it. So Toby uh-huh. Hooper came in to do this. So is this is Salem's Lot one of Stephen King's longer novels? Is that why it's like this three-hour epic thing? Or is it just because the format? It's about 650 pages. Is that long for Stephen King? It's about average for oh, Stephen okay. King. Okay. It's not like terribly. It's not like it. Like it's over a thousand pages. Oh, okay. Um, so it's not super long. Okay. I don't know exactly what the idea was behind this. I think they had done like a treatment for the for the feature and it just wasn't enough time so that's why okay. they, they made it a miniseries but I think it was a bad choice to do that and I and I, hmm. I stand by that I think that you know the original It's fantastic Tim Curry's performance obviously and Dennis Christopher there's a lot of great performances and the same with this film but Stephen King's really brutal. That's his deal. And you mm-hmm. can't do that kind of brutality on TV. Okay. Especially not in 1979 or 1990 when it came out. Sure. So I feel like, you know, this this is not not the best adaptation at Salem's Lot that could have been done. Okay. Just because it's not allowed to go as violent as it needs to be. Oh, because it was made for television. Exactly. Okay. So it's not even about the length of time. It no. was just that they were like really trapped by the fact that it had to be TV. Exactly. I see. Okay. That makes sense. That, I mean, if, if, you, if you try to like, and I think, I think that's why some adaptations of Stephen King stuff don't work is they try to like sugarcoat some of like the more brutal stuff. Yeah. But as any Stephen King lover will know, as right. if you've read the books, like that's who he is. And when you try Try to take that away from him, that like makes it not as great. That's so funny because there are so many Stephen King adaptations for television, though. Yeah. You know, think about like I don't Stand know why they did and the that. Langoliers and like all this stuff, and they just do it again and again and again. I think because they feel like they need the length of time, but then if you're if you're taking away a lot of that subject matter, it doesn't matter how long it is. That's really funny. It's funny too because now that it's so much more acceptable to have movies that are sort of like Lord of the Rings or you know The Hobbit or whatever, where you break up a movie into you know three parts. 
but I feel like they haven't done that for like a Stephen King. Well, the new It is like the first, you know, sure. the first is like the kid side, and now we're going to get the adult side because right. that that book's a thousand pages and really dense, and you can't do it in two and a half hours. Right, but it's not like production of that is like going on simultaneously. It's right. like you're really hedging your bets. Like, well, if this works out, we'll come back and do some more. But like, you know, but it doesn't really have that like. Lord of the Rings commitment. We're like, no, no, we're doing this story in three films. That's just it. That's right. how we're doing it, you know? And yeah, your point's taken. It might be well served that way. So Salem's Lot is Stephen King's second novel. Uh, Carrie was his first and uh, did such uh, gangbusters that they decided to like, oh, okay, this guy's great. Let's <laughs> go to There's money his, in the Stephen King guy. Next. And that never stopped. <laughs> it started in 1976 and it never stopped. Thank God for Stephen King. <laughs> uh, so this movie, um, 79, so... Uh, Stephen King, when he originally wrote this part of the main character's name is Ben mm-hmm. Mears, who's played by David Soul from Starsky and Hutch. Yeah, which we were like, who is this guy? Mm, oh, maybe Starsky not the best. Not, maybe not the best casting choice. Uh, he's a little milk toast. His, his Prince Valiant haircut, though, is pretty awesome. Well, it's the seventies. <laughs> um, but uh, Stephen King, when he wrote the part of Ben, mm-hmm. had Ben Gazzara in mind. Wow, that is like the opposite. Yes. <laughs> but when he describes him in the book, he describes him as someone who is like dark with dark hair. And they just like, or really hot blonde guy with the polar eyes. opposite. That's really funny. Um, but and he's this horror novelist, right? That uh, That's, a, that's a stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I like that he's just like, ah, horror novelist. Really let's go. thinking outside the box. Um, but still, it works. Um, and I enjoy the opening of this movie a lot because I know we were sort of talking about how he, you know, kind of pulls into town, Ben pulls into town. In his G. In his just endless shots of his sweet, jeep. Sweet, sweet jeep. Uh, pulls over uh, to the side of the road in front of this incredibly creepy house. And he slowly starts walking up to it. And as he is walking up to it, he's getting sweatier and sweatier. And I know we were sort of watching it being like, wow, that poor actor. It just must have been. And it's a recurring thing that like every time Ben is up towards the house, he is just like just wet with sweat. <laughs> like just, just even looking at it is so... Um, just terrifying to him uh, from for reasons we'll discuss later. Um, and I kind of really enjoy that because it's done subtly enough where you're like, oh, I guess it's just a hot day for the actor, but it keeps happening. Mm-hmm. So you're like, oh, that's that's pretty good. I like that. So he's come back to uh, Salem's Lot where he grew up to write a novel about the Marston House, which mm-hmm. is the name of the haunted house in the town, mm-hmm. uh, which he tries to rent, unfortunately cannot rent, from w- Fred Willard. Yeah. There is a there is a Fred Willard action in this movie, Fred- and but, but it's totally straight Fred Willard. Yeah, it's not Fred not, Willard doing any shtick or like the Fred Willard character. It's like groovy nineteen seventy nine Fred Willard in the most atrocious like you know pattern suits, Plaid. like just these horrible colors. He's supposed to be a real estate real estate agent. So there's like there's a weird bit in the beginning where there's he's having an affair with his secretary, mm-hmm. and then like the husband finds out and comes home and catches them together, and then we think that the husband. Kills Fred Willard, right? But maybe Fred Willard's a vampire. But Fred Willard's not a vampire. He just really like dies of a heart attack in the car. And yeah, like, they just kind of like never come back to him. Never come back to that story I was like, again. Wait, what about Fred Willard? Isn't he a vampire? No. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, the house is now occupied by Straker, right? Uh, yes. Um, so it is uh, Barlow and Straker, fine right. antiques. Right. And uh, we don't see Barlow. Barlow's out and about doing Barlow things, but Straker is always there, played by the glorious. Velvety voiced James Mason, um, who looks 
awesome in this movie. He might be one of my favorite Renfields on cinema. Like it's, he's he's fantastic. It's great. And apparently he read the script and he was like, yeah. hundred percent. I get and to it, be like a servant of evil. This is fantastic. And it's so great too, because you know, James Mason just has a lot of power in general. You know, you kind of think back to sort of, you know, some of the Hitchcock work that he did, and there's just a lot going on there. So for that guy to be someone's Renfield, you're like, what is the main guy like? And I love that. I think that's so great. Because I feel like that already for the big bad that we know is coming at some point. Um, I feel like it gives the audience a lot of anticipation. We're like, if James Mason is that guy's lackey. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so David Soul is Ben Mears. He meets a woman named Susan Norton, who is played by Bonnie Bedelia. Mm-hmm. And uh, he tells her about his kind of plan. So uh, we then we get introduced to Mark, who is this teenage character who is... Super cool. Super cool and like super into horror stuff mm-hmm. and is like the kid who's in his room painting models all the time and yeah. his parents are like, what's wrong with my kid? Yeah. And um, he's in a magician stuff and so there's a scene uh, where he shows his dad he can get out of any uh, rope knot or yeah. handcuffs, which come in handy later. Yeah. I think Mark's interesting because you know how we talked about sort of sometimes like the Randy from Scream character, how having all... Or Radish from... Um, Final exam. Final exam, thank you. Um, how I feel like sometimes that kid will have all this knowledge and it doesn't help them in the end. But it totally helps it him. It totally helps him in the end. So I feel like Mark is a good argument for like, have the knowledge, use it correctly, this will all work out for you. The, uh, one, of the, one of the main problems I have with this film, and it's, I mean, it's taken from Stephen King's novel so they don't have a lot of room to work with, mm-hmm. but I just find Mark so much more interesting than Ben. Yeah. So I'm just like, I want to see what happens to this kid. Right. What about this kid? Uh-huh. Why can't we just follow him? I don't care about this novelist guy. Yeah, I don't care about our big hunky hero guy. I don't like, know about the geeky kid who's in his room painting, yeah. fra- painting Frankenstein. But it's interesting because uh, throughout the course of the series, they kind of have them separate for a really, really, really long time. Yeah. Um, and so you have sort of these kind of like dual hero characters so, that are each kind of discovering what's going on in Salem's Lot in separate ways, and then a, a gradually their stories kind of join. Yeah, come together. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mark is friends with uh, a pair of brothers. Um, they are Ralphie and Danny Glick, who have come over to his house to watch him do his magic-y stuff and mm-hmm. then leave and take that shortcut through the woods. Main lesson, people. Don't. Never, um, ever take a shortcut <laughs> through the woods. So the brothers get separated and one of them uh, becomes the first uh, mm-hmm. victim. So James Mason kind of clubs him, knocks him out, takes right. him back to the Marston house to have a uh, snack for mm-hmm. Barlow. Yeah. Um, Procuring who we, meat. Who we don't, who in the beginning, we don't really, we just know that he's coming, he's coming, we're told that he's coming. And we have a couple of other characters who um, are hired to go get this freezing cold crate yeah. that's at the docks and put it on a truck and just take it all the way back. And the, as and they keep kind of looking at him and be like, no, this thing feels cold to the touch. It's weird. All right. It's moving. It's moving. Yeah, let's load it onto the on the crate. And then it keeps, it get, it's getting, making the whole truck and the cab of the truck colder and colder. And then it starts moving. And one of them keeps talking about opening it. And we were like, what are you doing, buddy? No, like you can abandon the truck and leave, but like you don't pull the truck over and be like, well, let's just open this thing and see what the deal is. Um, And they eventually get it back to the Marston house. And they're supposed to do all this like elaborate stuff with locks and triple lock the door and do this. And yeah, they just like throw the crate out and and drive away. Um, Jeffrey Lewis uh, Mm -hmm. is one of those one of those men who uh, is the key caretaker of the Harmony Hill Cemetery, Mm -hmm. which also comes up in Silver Bullet, which we'll be talking about. Um, And he has a dog named Faithful, Mm -hmm. and we get sad dog death. We do get sad dog death. 
Um, I don't really know why the dog dies. Is it Barlow? I think it is Barlow. I think it's supposed He's to be just like snacking on dogs. They're supposed to be, yeah, because there's sort of a lot of like a lot of off-screen murders that build, and I feel like the dog is one of the first. I feel like animals are always the first. I don't know. I feel like he's got like better taste than that. He's got little kids. What does he need a dog for? I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, so that we have, we, we do have a really uh, hats off to Toby Hooper for his really great vampire effects. So yeah. the Glick boys die and come back as vampires and are trying to entice Mark to come out uh, with them. And they show up at his window and there's this great. They have um, attached them to a crane. Mm-hmm. So they're and they play the footage backwards. So you have a lot of fog coming like rolling in in an yeah. awkward way because it's backwards and they're scratching at the window trying to let him to get it, get him to come in but and people are sort of hypnotized so it sort of so- it sounds a bit bonkers because you're like you know if your missing brother is now floating outside your window with you know you know no pupils you'd be like okay i'm they're done kind of shiny they're like reflective they're really neat contacts but i'm sure they, they hurt like a mother i can't even imagine yeah 1979 context yeah we talked about this with evil dead right where it was like a hot nightmare um i can't even imagine um but the way that they do it, it's sort of hypnotic for the person that's seeing it. So it's not you're not watching it as a normal person. So it's your brother, and yes, he's floating outside your window in the fog and the whole thing, but everyone's sort of drawn to it like moth to the flame style. It kind of sure. goes back to this, it brings in that kind of trope of sort of vampires being mesmerizing and sure. vampire that's one powers of the, That's being one of the seductive. powers, man, is you get to totally. hypnotize people. That'd, yeah. be like, great, that'd be a great power. Yeah, and Toby Hooper definitely employs that a lot uh, with the kids. It's kind of like uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, mm-hmm. you, these are not the droids you're looking for. Totally. And it makes sense because then sort of, you know, the, and obviously this sort of Barlow's plan is to sort of take over the town of Salem's Lot one by one, but it does it in this very quiet, non-threatening kind of way. Everyone just kind of becomes a vampire very quietly. And and the Glick boy's mother also becomes one, mm-hmm. um, and that is played by James Mason's wife. Yeah. Which is cool. They, get to, pretty- they get to act, not in any scenes together, but in the same film. Yeah, I enjoy that. Um, and... She is. They find. They go to the the morgue. Uh, ben Mears uh, is trying. Is starting to kind of figure out what's going on, and mm-hmm. he enlists his friend Jason Burke. They go down to the morgue. They're friends with the doctor, Doctor Norton, who is Susan's father, mm-hmm. and um, the waiting for the Glick boy's mom to come back. Yeah, and she does come back. And um, I love that they do uh, like a makeshift crucifix. So uh-huh. he uses tongue depressors and medical tape to make a crucifix. Right. And in um, this movie has a lot of similarities to Fright Night. Mm-hmm. And, in, and this is the first in which yeah. he she, he puts the crucifix to her forehead and pulls it away and does the kind of evil mm-hmm. ed forehead thing. Um, and then it just causes her to disappear. Yeah, that was the, that's their choice. Um, I was like, okay, that's a little unexciting. Yeah, but, maybe. You know, um, budget restraints. I also remember being a little confused on this movie about the number of times people have to be bitten in this movie. Yeah, it Do seems like it's debate? twice. Yes, where it's because people will run into people. I think it'd be Jeffrey, Jeffrey Lewis is one of the person that um, uh, Ben runs into. Oh, he's sick. And he al- he's sick and he already has bite marks on him. And then later he goes to another townsperson's house to spend the night and is visited at his window and is bitten again. So, like, it, you have to be bitten twice in Salem's Lot to be a that, vampire? That's always the confusing little, things about vampire movies. Yeah. It's just, like, what rules are they playing by? Totally. Because I think some of the vampires are out during the day in this film yes. also, which is confusing. And maybe it's, like, if you've only bitten, bitten once, you're okay. And then, yes. like, as you go along. Because I, like, I know some some vampire films, it's three times. This time seems to be twice. You have to be drained all three times? You or? have to be bitten three separate times. Got it. Okay. Hmm? And then the third time is when you're like death, and then you come back. Well, usually and then it's forever. You, some, well, here sometimes okay. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how they're playing here. Okay, but sometimes it's also like you have to suck their blood 
and they suck your blood. Okay. Like, so you're drinking the vampire's blood as well, and that's what makes you turn. Interesting. But maybe not here. That's funny. I wonder, too, if Stephen King kind of felt like he could make up, like, well, it's my book. Yeah. Making a moan vampire I say, rules. I say, right up, make whatever you want. Yeah. You know, you can make them sparkles. People are just like, whatevs, man. <laughs> whatever. We sparkle. And you go, okay. Deal mm-hmm. with it. Deal but with it. I, uh, there are no sparkly vampires in this movie, P.S. Not um, in this movie. But the eye effect... I can't remember if I looked up to see how they did this or not. It's really cool. Like, mm-hmm. it looks like a practical effect where it's that thing. It looks like, um, you know, when you see cats at night and their eyes have that reflective yeah. quality. It's like that for people. It's yeah, super cool. it's really well done. It's a really cool thing, especially yeah. for 1979. We are like, I don't even know what's in that contacts to yeah. make them do that. Yeah. But we're just going to stick it in your eye. Yeah. Um, but eventually we do meet Barlow, right? We do. And um, he is very Nosferatu-esque. Yeah. So it's interesting because you would expect with a Renfield like James Mason that you would perhaps get a very suave and debonair kind of Dracula right. type. But he's not. He's just like a blue monster who doesn't speak. Yeah, it's like a blue, super tall Nosferatu, mm-hmm. basically, right? Who, um, who was chomping his way through Salem's lot to make his coven of vampires. Right. And I think he makes his big debut um, with Mark and Mark's parents, right? Because mm-hmm. he like, smashes the parents' heads together, and then I think we're meant to think they died. So that's where my favorite quote is, because okay. they, have, they, have, they have brought a, a priest over in order to help them. So he's got his crucifix with them. Uh-huh. And James Mason comes in and, and like lays down a little bet for him. So uh, this is what he says. It's so great. James Mason says, The master wants you to throw away your cross. Face the master. Your faith against his faith. Could you do that? Is your faith enough? Then do it. Throw away the cross. Faith the master. Face the master. Faith against faith. Dun, dun, dun. My favorite quote is also uh, James Mason's, you can do nothing against the master. Um, which again, I mean, I cannot begin to do a James Mason uh, impersonation. Let me, but let like, me, let me hear sweet, it. I, not at all. Not at all. Not, <laughs> not even one time. No. Um, I will not bore these people um, with that sad attempt. But um, I can't. But it, it, that... <laughs> Our producers like do it. Listen, you jerks. Um, but I again to have that character, like a character that sort of has so much power. Because again, I feel like Renfields are always very like weaselly, whatever. Yeah. But you like cast sort of an amazing, a very charming man. Yeah, who has like a lot of power, but like he's thrown it all away for this thing. So awesome. We we. It's just we feel so bad. I would like to see a movie in which the Renfield character wins like actually gets wonderfully rewarded because they're always but that's promised the whole point of the character that they're going to be wonderfully rewarded and they work so hard and they never are they, and they work so hard they do they put in good hours they, gotta, <laughs> they have to please the master he commands it yeah but i mean that's that's the lesson learned like that's the, i feel like the renfields are sort of like the warning lights on the whole vampire mystique thing like it's just it's never going to work out for you. Like it always seems very seductive well, and very. Maybe we should write a movie where the Renfield wins. He was wonderfully rewarded, and the weirdo kid who makes models is the main character. That'll be ours. That would be our version of Salem's Lot. <laughs> I also enjoyed this movie too. Is once I think it's after Barlow appears, um, and the sheriff who has been trying to figure out what's going on. Um, <laughs> he's, the ben, con- he's the constable. Oh, he's the constable. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The constable. I, I, I just got to be. I, you know. Okay. No fair play. Facts. Fair play. Um, nerd facts. Nerd facts. A constable. Um, so Ben runs over to the constable to be like, "It's it's true. Everything's real." Da, da, da. And constable is packing up all his shit, packing his family, and is out of there. Like knows what's going on, believes them. It's not even a no. You're crazy. Vampires aren't real. It's like no, no. Yeah, no, for sure. Later, and is definitely like you. And I think he gives him a gun. Like, yeah. oh, are you staying? Ugh all right, well, here's this gun, and off he goes. And, and I, I love that they have amazing. a shot of him, like, 
very specifically packing his electric fan yeah. in order to leave Salem's Lot. It's like, I can't leave without my fan. Definitely not. No, definitely not. Yeah. I love that the constable bails. Yeah. Mm-mm. No, but no. there's no, because I, uh, you know, sort of the, the moment, the moments that are coming sort of involve storming the house and, you know, we're going to have all this weaponry and all this stuff and constable, not part of it. Just like, no, this is, this is a hot nightmare. I'm out of here. Like <laughs> just later. Um, I, I do. I do funny. enjoy that. We do get a shot of the cop eating a donut as well. I'm always pleased when they do that in movies. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Donut. So Mark is decided to go to the Marston house because he, the Barlow has killed his parents and he's going right. to uh, seek revenge or force Ben. And, and, and so Susan follows Mark mm-hmm. and then Ben follows Susan. So it's like this just, yeah. uh, and they all are going in separately, which is a terrible idea. And then Ben goes in with Susan's dad as well. Isn't that right? Like he goes in with somebody else originally, and then remember the dad oh, yeah, goes up the stairs. Goes, yeah, because he gets impaled on the antlers. Right, but because he goes up the stairs with no weapons, and then all of a sudden James Mason has superhuman strength. Yeah, like that's a part of his Redfield. Yeah, he character. picks him up off the ground. Uh huh. Yeah, and it's great because it's kind of like a. a it, it, the house is very on the inside is very Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's a lot of mm-hmm. feathers all over the floor, and there's like the red wall with right. the antlers, just like you have in Leatherface's house. But I think he's like, I wanted to do this thing in Texas Chainsaw where I wanted to have someone impaled on the antlers but i couldn't afford it then so right. i can afford it now so yeah. what if we do this shot of a guy getting impaled with antlers that's really funny too because it's also on a much more epic scale yeah. like the house has a very similar vibe to the inside of the texas house but it's enormous mm-hmm. like they have so many crane shots of them just like this grand staircase and these huge and there's always kind of like it was like dust or ash or something like in the air the whole time like as they're walking through just to add to like the creepy factor and barlow uh gets gets susan mm-hmm. um who kind of just sort of disappears yeah, she, for a bit. Mm-hmm. She kind of out of the narrative. Right. Out of the narrative. Man, mm-hmm. my today. <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing great. Doing great. Okay. Keep uh-huh. on cruising. Here we go. <laughs> um, so they're in the Marston house and, and, and Mark and Ben end up teaming up. Yeah. Um, so they, they end up uh, shooting James Mason on the staircase in mm-hmm. another very Fright Night-esque kind yeah. of sequence mm-hmm. where they keep shooting him and he keeps coming and he keeps coming. But he just dies, right? He, he does, but it's oh so slowly. You right, know, it's but like it's that not like of. the weird Fright Night, like I'm going to turn into green goo and then bones. Where afterwards you're like, what was that guy? <laughs> I don't even know. What what was going on there? There was some sort of weird I'm not, ghoul yeah. Renfield I still thing. have questions about that. Um, no, I've actually asked Tom Holland to his face, what was that thing? What did he say? He's like, oh, he's like, uh, he's like the Renfield. You're like, I'm like, yeah, I know, but yeah, yeah. what is he? And the green goo. Like, and I, the- I don't know. Unbelievable. (laughs) That's just just making stuff up. I kind of felt like uh, James Mason was really just trying to like pad that death out. You know, like like the love for the master is so strong that like you okay. can't. And he does have superhuman strength as he's demonstrated. So why, why does he have super superhuman strength? I mean, again, we want all the details to be properly explained to us. Yeah, and I think a lot of horror movies don't care about those details as it, much as we care. about It the also details. is complicated to sort of explain how the deal works without obviously being like this is the narrative, this is the exposition that explains how the deal works. Right. You know, I mean, so I, I kind of get them for that, but it's just like all these kind of changes. You're like, oh, your Renfield can do that. Your Renfield can do that. That's oh, just, okay. Yeah. Well, I guess you know horror movies are about suspension of disbelief. You have to be like, okay, this is this universe. Yeah. And these rules. Yeah. And but the, that's why it's always interesting going in each one because you don't know what the rules are for that specific. And perhaps film. it's to the writer's credit where the goal of it is to put us more in the shoes of the protagonist, where they don't know what the deal is, right? Oh, that's true. So maybe it's kind of meant to be more like, oh, okay, this is because it's hard to sort of know in these stories 
how aware characters are of these mythologies already because some stories that like we're talking about silver bullet they are aware that werewolves are a thing and so they have decided you know but like in this story they're obviously aware that vampires are a thing sure because mark's into horror movies and loves that he's got bella lugosi in his room and sure so that's why he's great also because he he's handy yeah he know he knows the deal and also very brave because they have that scene where uh ben's like get out like you're a kid go save yourself whatever and he like literally chucks him out the front of the house and then he pauses and turns around and runs right, runs right back in. So, like, yeah, go I mark. guess if it's one of those things where, like, you've killed my parents, you've killed my best friends. Yeah. I have nothing to live for. Right. Let's do this. Let's do this thing. Which is why Mark is awesome. Yeah, why is why Mark is awesome. So, um, so they go down and they do they do the stake through the heart, big bad. They at, find his his little chamber behind yeah. this door. And, and let's talk, got, we should talk about Barlow, like, the look of Barlow, too. Like, when he's in there, they, they do this thing, too, where it's the all blue yeah. Like it's the Nosferatu kind of deal, but super blue, like sort of. Well, Nosferatu, no, Nosferatu could have been blue, but it's black and white. That's so true. how would we know? That's a good point. Maybe. But I thought that was interesting. Maybe so Toby when, Hooper read somewhere that like he actually, the blue makeup was actually blue. And then he was like, all right, let's go with that. Yeah. It is. It is a it is bright shade of blue. Um, so yeah, they flip the coffin open. Um, and there he is. And he has, he has his, all of his minions who are mm-hmm. sleeping around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, stake that puppy. Yeah. And then burn that thing to the ground. Yeah. His skull kind of melts. Yeah. But this is the other point of this movie that I thought was kind of fun. So like Susan has kind of disappeared. Like they ha- quote unquote have her. They have to deal with Barlow. They then decide to burn the place to the ground. And they kind of walk out. And Julie and I are like, what about Susan? Like he, they didn't. He says, "Sorry, Susan." Totally, and it, there's no like last pass for her. No, like, they don't go looking cover, for her. Hey, look, I'm gonna chuck the gasoline. You go look for Susan. Like, nope. They're just like once Barlow's dead, they're like, we're just screw it. Like that's it, and it's 100 percent sorry, Susan. Um, and then they go on the lamb, yeah, which I sort of enjoy epilogue of this movie. Uh, I kind of feel like I could do without the like really prologue epilogue. Okay, it doesn't do a lot for me, but we see them because we see them in the very beginning of the movie in a town in Guatemala that doesn't actually exist mm-hmm. where they're now like tanned and hardened and they've clearly right. been on the road for a long time where they have holy water that glows because maybe vampires are near yeah it's mm-hmm. new rules I mean, yeah. so we okay. get you know we get the like wraparound ending where now mm-hmm. we're, they're back in Guatemala going to be fighting vampires until the end of time now right. they're on a quest right I guess he's not a horror novelist anymore yeah now he's just a vampire hunter but uh, the, the glowing that they sort of had seen earlier uh, they end up going to that house and mm-hmm. then there is Susan of in all course. her like vampire glory. And it was like, come kiss me, Ben. Look at me and how beautiful I am. And also I'm going to eat your face. Um, and he totally stakes her. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is and, what you got to do. Yeah, stakes her. And then they're out on the road. And like, yeah, that's it. And movie. Well, I think as, as a survival, mm-hmm. uh, this film, uh, Mark shows us the way. Yeah. Like he, he knows it because he, when they take him into the, the Marston house, they tie him up. And he knows mm-hmm. how to get out of them because mm-hmm. he's learned how to do all this magician stuff. So lesson learned. Yeah. Learn how to get out handcuffs and rope. Yeah. I guess that's a useful skill in always. Yeah, definitely. So maybe we should work on that. And I also think it's interesting that, you know, how we talked before about like final boy or final girl, final couple. It's final father, son, sort of. Surrogate thing. Surrogate. Yeah. Duo? It's final dude and kid. Final dude and kid. That's unusual. Yeah, it is unusual, right? Because um, I kind of thought as I was watching this, I'm like, one of these two are going down. No. PST Mark. But like, yeah. But no, definitely. T Mark. T Mark. We need to make those buttons and everybody will be so confused. <laughs> definitely. There's a lot of choices. Team Jacob, Team Edward, Team Mark. Team Mark? Like, there's no, there's no Mark. Oh, there is. There is a Mark. In Salem's Lot. Um, so we have uh, our Gore Factor and our movie rating system. Uh, for Gore Factor, it's one, not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two, puddle of blood. Three, enough blood to gross out the average viewer. 
four bathtub of blood, and five is run for the barf bag. Um, and what do we think? For Gore Factor for this, we gave it a one. Yeah. Which, well, it's they got that TV thing. You can't show much blood and yeah. gore. So that's probably why the vampire disappears. Yeah. Because uh, they're just like, we don't want like explosion. We don't want blood. We just yeah. want something kind of not It is kind of disappointing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little, a little bit. bit. Um, and then the movie rating is zero to five chainsaws. One, if you're desperate. Two, barely qualifies as a horror film. Three, seen worse, seen better. Four, not too shabby. And five is fantastagorical. Um, and we both gave this a three. Which is, what is our, what is our three chainsaws? Uh, three tra- chainsaws. Seem worse, seem better. Yeah. Yeah. I, but you, it's funny. I was just sort of judging this movie just like on movie to movie merits. But now as TV miniseries, you're right. Like it's sort of, I don't know, the legs of this movie might have been cut off a little bit early just because of the format. And perhaps I wasn't thinking about that when I judged this movie. Yeah. I think if, it, if they had done like, a, you know, if, we, if we'd gotten the George Romero, even Toby Hooper feature film version, yeah. I feel like that would have been way more hardcore than this movie is allowed to be just yeah. because it's on television. So it's, it's not like you should watch it. It's interesting. Yeah, it is it's interesting. not like run out and see it right now. Yeah, definitely. But I do think it is interesting in terms of the way in which they portray vampirism and also James Mason. And just, James Mason. And James Mason. You should just, watch it for James Mason I mean, alone. James, and Toby Hooper. Because James Mason horror film? Yes. What? Like, we should always support James Mason. 100%. Mm-hmm. And Toby Hooper. Yeah. Always support them. That was the other thing I was thinking about. Toby Hooper movies, which I think I remarked to you because I noticed this in Poltergeist, how with a lot of the sort of Ben Susan stuff, he does a lot of this sort of um, casual flirty conversation between couples that are sort of let, sort of make you kind of understand like what that dynamic is and kind of fall for that couple. And that's the, I mean, Ben and Susan are kind of like whatever in this movie, but I noticed that that, that sort of a lot of the way in which they were speaking to each other is how Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams talk to each other, inter- interact with each other as couples. I feel yeah. like he has kind of that like idea of how couples interact and it's very casual and you show affectionate and kind of goofy ways. And mm-hmm. I saw that a lot in this movie. I thought it was kind of interesting. Well, I think James Mason is great. And I think the, the kid who plays Mark is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but Ben and Susan, eh, neither one of them really do anything for me. Yeah. So I feel like maybe with other casting choices, it could have been more of like a home run. Maybe. And also, too, because if it was because it was designed as a the sort of TV miniseries, it's very ensemble yeah. Like We haven't even talked about a ton of char- other characters that are in this film. And I feel like maybe that would have been focused and more narrowed in if it had been the proper feature. But how much you want to bet that Starsky and Hutch is on the same network as this? And they were like, you can make this movie, but you have to cast David Sull as the main character. And they're like, nobody doesn't fit the description at all. And they're like, we don't care. This is who it is. Starsky and Hutch. What are you not understanding? Yes. Um, yeah. No, for sure. So, um, so that's Salem's Lot. Um, thank yeah. you so much for joining us. Uh, you can find us online on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. And if you are into the iTunes uh, razzmatazz, yeah. leave us a review because it helps people find us. And that's all good for everybody. Exactly. And next week, uh, we will be continuing our Stephen King madness with Silver Bullet. Yeah, some werewolves. Werewolves. Gary Busey, Corey Haim. What else do you need to know? And some Twin Peaks is going to filter oh, yeah. into this thing. There's so, going to be a Twin Peaks kind of kind of thing going yeah, on. Yeah, so stay tuned, boys and girls. And Anna Green Gables. That's they, true. Everybody wins. Well, there's a lot going on in this movie. Gary Busey, Anna Green Gables, what? So tune in next week for that. <laughs> See you for Silver Bullet. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>